Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Welcome back to the Afroverted Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and today we are going to explore a new legal challenge to Israel's actions in Gaza. We're joined by Vikas van Rensburg, a South African lawyer and founder of Vikas van Rensburg Attorneys. He's leading a team of lawyers in a groundbreaking lawsuit against the government of the United Kingdom and the United States. The lawsuit alleges that these countries have been complicit in Israel's atrocities in Gaza by providing military aid and political support. Mr. Van Rensburg's commitment to justice and human rights is deeply rooted in his personal experiences. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, he witnessed firsthand the devastating impact of injustice and oppression. This experience, of course, shaped his professional journey, leading him to dedicate his life to fighting for the rights of the marginalized and oppressed. We'll delve into the details of the lawsuit and explore the challenges and potential impacts of this groundbreaking legal case. We'll also discuss the broader implications of holding powerful countries accountable for their actions in the context of international law and human rights. Let's get right to it. Vikas van Rensburg, welcome to the Afroverdict podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you join me today. Thank you very much. So according to the media, there are about 50 South African lawyers that have joined you in filing this lawsuit and that you're in touch with the ICJ and lawyers in the US and UK. So how do you plan to go about this legal action? Tell us a bit more about the nature of this lawsuit. Um, thank you. Um, yes, there's approximately 40 to 50 lawyers that has made contact with myself that is interested in supporting and assisting us in instituting this civil claim. It's going to be a class action civil claim uh, in both the USA as well as the UK. We have also obtained firms in both the UK and the USA that is willing to assist us in initiating these proceedings in the two separate jurisdictions. Now, the core of the lawyers involved in this matter is approximately 15 to 20 lawyers, which consists of senior counsel, junior counsel, uh, senior lawyers, junior lawyers, and all specializing in either civil law or criminal law, um, depending on which area each party was specializing in. Now, the idea for this is that the ICJ judgment would be a good guideline for us to assess what would be the best course of action to approach our claim uh, against these two countries. However, we are not bound by the ICJ and whatever it determines. Because ultimately, to us, it's a matter of justice and the way the people are treated in Gaza with the continued bombardment, and the harm suffered by the civilian population within these different areas. Now, the legal action has been initiated first by us submitting a notice of intention to institute proceedings. In the South African context, I can equate that to what they call a letter of demand. You have to put the party whom you'll be instituting proceedings against. You have to put them in some form of default before you can initiate proceedings in various courts. If you don't do that, there's always a preliminary issue that can be raised that 
At no point in time did you put that party in default and allowed that party maybe to correct the wrong action which is being complained about. If they fail to act in terms of a letter of demand or in this instance, notice of intention, then we, you are free to issue summons uh, using the South African context against that party for whatever your course of action entails. Uh, as I've indicated, the action will be a class action. So we will be fighting not only for a handful of individuals, but for the entire population of Gaza and possible also be West Bank. Okay. All right. Well, best of luck with that. We will be following the details of the lawsuit very closely. But tell me, how do you define atrocities that are being committed by Israel in Gaza in the context of this lawsuit? And what specific acts by Israel do you believe fall into this category of atrocities? What is a good example is all the examples shown at the ICJ. To a limited extent, uh, is a good instigation, uh, indication of the atrocities. However, you can just open your any social media where you see what is actually happening in Gaza, the bombing of buildings, uh, innocent civilians being killed by collapsing buildings, um, the trauma which is experienced by children and women and the unnecessary killing of women and children. I think the current figure I heard was standing at approximately 24,000 civilians has been killed in Gaza. Let's assume a third of those are Hamas members. That still leaves two-thirds, 16,000 people who have died, who are civilians. And the countries are explaining and or justifying it. Look, there's always collateral damage in a war. However, um, a third of the people dying being children, honestly, uh, children aren't collateral damage to any war, uh, nor women. They didn't sign up for this, and the excuse that Israel is doing or using to say that, look, they notify the people, um, it's just unfortunate, sorry, but justice says there are limitations to self-defense. And self-defense, you cannot use it as a blanket to blanket uh, drop bombs. Uh, I think they call it the Hannibal principle that Israel is using where to kill one person of Hamas, they prepare to kill a hundred civilians. That, we believe, is an excess of justifiability insofar as self-defense and the conduct is unexcusable to us as lawyers. Yeah, by all means, no, 100 to 1, it's a crazy figure, to be honest. Well, look, it's obvious that you've been following the whole ICJ procedure closely. How do you plan to use Israel's defense at the ICJ to your advantage? Well, with honesty, um, Israel... Case was predominantly on what they call preliminary issues and or jurisdictional issues initially. And um, my personal experience as a litigating attorney, if you don't have a case, you try and raise as many preliminary points or jurisdictional points to try and kill the case being made against you. Uh, okay, the word kill is not appropriate, but 
the ideas to eliminate VKs being made because they have raised those issues up front and spend a lot of time at the ICJ arguing those issues. Um, it is just my personal opinion and some of the practitioners that's involved in this matter that they don't have a defense to the claim, therefore they raised these preliminary points. And if the court decides that the preliminary points are unfounded or the jurisdictional points are unfounded, they've raised the aspect of self-defense. Israel is entitled to defend itself. That is not in dispute. However, there are limits to self-defense. And um, if someone attacks you by way of hand, and you pull out a gun and kill that person, you can't claim self-defense because it's exceeding the boundaries of self-defense. And the defense tendered at the ICJ will give us also an indication what the defense would be in a civil suit. The onus is less in a civil suit than in a criminal case, i.e. the ICC, and the ICJ is purely a preliminary issue dealing with whether uh, Israel will be interdicted or enjoined from carrying on its bombardment of Israel. It doesn't say that Israel has committed genocide, but there will be a good indication in that judgment whether the possibility exists, but that's an issue that still needs to be investigated and evidence will still need to be gathered and collected insofar as that is concerned. For our civil suit, we have started gathering evidence of atrocities. Uh, I don't want to say genocide because I don't want to preempt whatever the ICJ says, but in our personal opinions, uh, what is happening there amounts to genocide and it is unjustified. All right, thanks. So basically, just jumping back to the ICJ case, what Israel's defense was doing is just trying to sort of invalidate the whole case instead of defending themselves, right? That's correct. All right. Um, initially, with its initial arguments, eventually it did get into the argument of self-defense and the right to defend itself. But that was limited, in my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, I personally agree with you there as well. So what legal framework will you be relying on to substantiate the claim that the US and UK share responsibility for Israel's actions? And how will you establish this connection in court if it comes to that? America has got a specific act uh, where it assists foreign governments in acts of war. I'm, I'm using it now extremely loosely. Um, Bernie Sanders actually made reference to it uh, on social media the other day. I don't have an exact act name with me, but it comes down to you cannot take away uh, a person's right to institute legal action against America for acts committed during a war. Uh, apparently, the Bush administration tried um attacking this legislation but was unsuccessful in the early 2000s in america we will also be using the international laws governing war and war crimes uh, as a guideline to institute these claims against the usa and uk the us and the uk has got different precedents dealing with this course of action and we will be researching and following 
both countries' presidents read in conjunction with the international law insofar as the issue is concerned. Uh, it will also be a class action, which will mean it is an open-ended action to the extent of people that has been disadvantaged and or suffered insofar as the actions by America and the UK in supporting Israel uh, insofar or being complicit in support uh, and supporting Israel insofar as this war is concerned. And in which jurisdictions do you plan to file this lawsuit? I mean, obviously, it's going to be probably the US and UK, but tell us a bit more about that. And why do you consider these to be the most appropriate venues for this legal action? You Normally, you have to go to the jurisdiction of the party that is being sued. In this instance, both the UK and the USA will have to approach their courts for judgments insofar as our claim is concerned. Um, in America, we'll probably be utilizing the federal court, uh, probably New York, where we've approached a law firm to assist us. And in the UK, probably the Supreme Court or High Court, uh, which will be the highest court to deal with matters of this nature, as well as the court has got certain jurisdictional limits. If you're going to sue, say, for a million rand uh, or a million dollars, you won't go to the lower courts for that amount. You'll go to the higher courts because each court has got a financial limit insofar as what it can award. And in a class action, we've experienced and observed that the court you approach is the federal court who exercises jurisdiction over the government that can provide you a judgment favorable and sufficiently to make right the wrong that has been committed. The UK is exactly the same. Um, ultimately, the court will decide what would the quantum of compensation be. Um, we will provide the court with guidance insofar as our calculations are concerned and what our experts will say. However, the court has got the final say. You can sue for whatever amount you want. However, whether the court will grant you that amount is a different question. So it all depends on the severity of each case or the damages suffered in each case. And what potential obstacles or challenges do you think in navigating the legal complexities of, of this case will you come forward against? And how do you plan to overcome these hurdles? Time and money. That's mostly the complexity of any litigation. Time insofar as when a party defends any action, um, there is different ways of using delayed tactics all within the framework of litigation, which could drag the matter a substantial period of time. Now, we are in for the long run. We don't care about whether it takes five years or 10 years. We'll be setting it out and fighting it. Um, so there is separate time issues that can be used to try and delay a proceeding of this nature. However, Ultimately, all cases gets to court. It might take time, but it all gets adjudicated. The second disadvantage would be financing. Uh, we as South African lawyers, as well as the UK and the USA lawyers, has offered to attend on this matter on a pro bono basis, which is 
for our own accounts. We don't charge anything for our work. However, as you get closer to the litigation aspect and having to appear in the court and have to present your expert witnesses and complainants, those people will need to get to the court and to obtain expert reports, anything of that nature will have a cost implication. In those instances, we'll be approaching the international community for assistance. Because, as you know, the South African rand comparative to the US dollar, uh, we can't even start to finance a case like this on that level. However, at this current point in time, it's only our time involved. And we, as the South African lawyers, are prepared to give our time in advancement of this case. But when it gets to the direct expenses, we'll probably approach communities, the international community, for assistance to assist us in prosecuting this matter in civil court. After a civil action, there's always the possibility of getting a cost order. The losing party normally has to pay the winning party's legal cost. If that happens in this instance, we can recover all the costs incurred in the litigation. So then a lot of the expenses can be recovered and that's money that can be refunded to certain of the contributors or it can be utilized to the best advantage of whatever those contributing people decides how the money should be utilized. So ultimately, costs can be obtained. However, it's to get to the end goal that we'll have to obtain some financing or funding from the international community. Okay, now, you know, to be honest, I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there as well as organizations that will fully commit to, you know, assisting as best they can. Thank you. To my understanding, so you're filing a case against a state. Is that right? A nation. Using the word state, because America consists of, what, 50 states? So we're filing it against the USA as a nation. And we're not going to go just suing New York State. Uh, we'll be uh, suing the USA as a nation and then the UK as a nation because it consists of various smaller countries within the UK. Uh, I'm using the word country, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England. Um, so it will be the nations being sued. Okay, okay. Yeah, by state, I meant like the, the country, right? Yes. Don't you feel intimidated by such an action going up uh, a mere, what, 48, 50 people against uh, two countries, basically? Normally, as lawyers, our approach is you as, your case is as strong as your facts. And you can have as many lawyers as you want if your facts don't support your case. You're not going to win. And we feel that our merits on our matter is extremely strong. And based on that, America can have all the lawyers in America uh, be involved in the case. It's not going to change ultimately the facts of the case and what we seek the court to uh, that needs to decide. And just by looking at social media on the uh, horrible conditions and things happening there. I almost want to say the facts speak for itself. So how you get past that uh, will be up to them. And 
the defense will probably be, look, we were just supporting in terms of our international relations, uh, Israel. However, there is limits and those limits cannot be exceeded. So ultimately the case comes down to the merits of the matter and we feel very strongly about the merits and you can bring as many lawyers as you want. The merits doesn't change. I think that's very, very brave of you guys. Thank you very much. How do you envision this case impacting the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the realm of international law? Um, in, in, in the field of international law, it will put out a warning there that there is accountability to those nations that support a nation which is unjustified in its conduct. Um, at least we'll have justice out there so people can approach the courts to show that, look, I've been disadvantaged, I've been prejudiced insofar as the conduct is concerned. I know there's somewhere where I can go and get relief. How would you define a successful outcome of uh, of the legal case? A successful outcome would be a judgment in our favor with the court granting financial compensation to those involved in the class action. That will enable them to rebuild their community, their society, uh, get the necessary medical treatment for whatever medical condition has uh, resulted from what they have experienced. Uh, you can imagine the psychological impact that this world will have on children and um, possible uh, monthly pension being paid out to those people. As long as we can get as much money as possible to alleviate the hardship experienced by Palestine and the Palestinian civilian occupation, uh, uh, occupants, that would be our main goal. How much? Unfortunately, I cannot say. Uh, I'm not an accountant. I'm not an actuary. But I can guarantee you it's not going to be a small amount and it's going to have a lot of zeros attached to it. <laughs> well, let's hope for a good outcome because that's something I feel that the people that really, really need, uh, especially considering that a lot of humanitarian aid was obstructed in getting to the to the people that suffered. That's correct. Thank you very much for your support. Why did you feel that this is the right time to pursue this lawsuit? And what motivated your decision to take legal action at this juncture? My background is a specialist in labor law and conflict and conflict resolutions in South African context. And a colleague and I were discussing what is happening there. And there was a video clip that I saw by an American Palestinian journalist where he, she goes back to her dad's hometown, where her dad grew up before he immigrated to America. And what I saw in that video clip, I just thought was ridiculous. Uh, I can't even think of the appropriate English word now, that there were certain parts where a person had a barricade in front of his front door. So every time he had to go out, he had to go through that barricade where the soldiers were involved. And if he wants to get back into his house, he had to go through that same barricade and checking from the army people walking around. Now, if you don't have freedom of movement to that simplistic form of just leaving your house and going back into your house, that was quite an eye opener to me. Also, Having grown up during apartheid, 
I was unaware of what apartheid really entailed. Um, but being a practicing attorney and getting to hear what has transpired in the past, and just speaking to friends and colleagues of mine, South Africa didn't experience any form of apartheid in comparison with what is being experienced in Gaza, that you can't even leave your country. You don't have freedom of movement. Um, um, all the rights that you take for granted, these people don't have. And another concern was the fact that any Israeli soldier can stop a Palestinian civilian for up to three hours and interrogate him. Now, think about it. You've got, uh, let's say, an 80-year-old Palestinian is walking down the road, and yes, this 18-year-old soldier, um, whose brain isn't even fully developed yet, as you know, uh, brains only developed fully after, I think it's 21. Um, and uh, Dr. Phil has actually indicated that in one of his shows, that's why I picked this up. So, a not fully developed brain, they cannot understand the intricacies of society and what everything entails and what their decisions entail. But they be allowed to have the power of a three-hour three um, interrogation of a person, say, of 80 years old. And that, to me, is not right. I think if any one of us are being stopped for three hours on the street or just being on the street, uh, you'll say, no, my constitutional rights are being limited. Um, that's not right. And we would like to see, ultimately, these people being free and being able to walk out their own house and enjoy life as everyone else on earth is experiencing it. I know there is countries where it's horrible, but at least have some form of movement and rights to himself. Definitely. God willing, man. God willing. So finally, what message would you like this lawsuit to convey to the US, to the UK, Israel, the international community? And what broad implications do you foresee for holding countries accountable for their complicity in atrocities by means of funding or whatever other support? Accountability. Every action has got a reaction. And if you make a decision, you've got to live with the consequences of that decision. So we just want to hold those complicit countries in any war and involved in war crimes or complicit to war crimes. Uh, even though the uh, ICC nor the ICJ has determined whether it is war crimes, um, but from a civil perspective, that uh, it is it could be deemed war crimes, and we conduct by those nations, they must remember they are accountable. They are elected officials who represent the people of that country, and you've got to be accountable. Like any government is accountable to its electorate, so must the world be accountable to each other in that it's such a small world and everyone feeds off everyone. So on a joint world concept, accountability, that's all we want and that justice must prevail. I completely support your case. I'm, I'm sure I'm by far not the only one. And uh, yeah, we stand strong with you and in hopes that justice, in fact, will prevail. Thank you. Vikas van Ensburg, thank you so much for joining me today. And generally, best of luck with your case. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. And thank you for your viewers for listening. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Afrovidi podcast as we discuss the unexpected lawsuits against the UK and US for their alleged complicity in Israel's atrocities in Gaza. We heard from Vikas van Rensburg, the South African lawyer leading this legal challenge about the strength of his case and the potential impact it could have on holding powerful countries accountable for their actions. The lawsuit against the UK and US is a bold and ambitious undertaking, but it is one that is necessary to bring about justice for the people of Gaza. The humanitarian crisis there is a stark reminder of the devastating consequences of unchecked power and impunity. This lawsuit, in addition to South Africa's genocide case against Israel at the ICJ, may very well serve as a wake-up call to the international community and could pressure the UK and US to review their foreign policies. We also hope that this case will set a precedent for holding other powerful countries accountable for their human rights abuses. Thank you for listening to the Afrovidit podcast. To follow the case, subscribe to the Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials. And of course, stay tuned with Afroverdict. In case you want to rewind or listen to previous podcasts, find the Afroverdict podcast on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Pocket Casts, Afripods, Castbox, and Podcast Addict. That's that for today, everyone. This is your host, Victor Anakin, signing off, and may justice prevail. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.